As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Hello, friends. I'm Rick Warren, and welcome to Spurgeon Sermons. This is the official podcast brought to you by Premier and Spurgeon's College. You know, the teachings of Charles Spurgeon have had a personal impact on my life in a profound way, and I'm confident they'll do the same for you. So get ready to be challenged, equipped, and guided by Charles Spurgeon, who is universally regarded as the greatest English preacher in the history of the church. Filling the Empty Vessels, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, part one. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Very beautiful to my mind is the sight of the ageing Paul, immured in his prison at Rome, likely soon to be put to death but calm, quiet, peaceful and joyful. Just now he is so happy that a gleam of sunlight seems to light up his cell, and his face shines like that of an angel. He is exceedingly delighted because he has been in his deep poverty kindly remembered by the little church at Philippi, and they have sent him a contribution. See how cheerful the man is, I was about to say how contented, but I drop the word because it falls far short of the mark. He is far more happy than Caesar overhead in the palace. He is charmed with the love which has sent him this relief. Probably the gift does not come to very much, if estimated in Roman coin. But he makes a great deal of it and sits down to write a letter of thanks abounding in rich expressions like these. I have all things and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. His heart was evidently greatly touched, for he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. See how little a gift may make a good man glad. Is it not worthwhile to be free with our cups of cold water to the prophets of the Lord? Instead of a little money, the brethren and sisters at Philippi receive a boundless blessing and are enriched by the fervent prayers of the apostle. Hear how earnestly Paul invokes benedictions on the heads of his benefactors. Is it not a blessed state of mind which enables a heart so soon to be full to overflowing? Some would grumble over a roasted ox, and here is Paul 
rejoicing over a dinner of herbs. So great was the disinterestedness of Paul that there was nothing of selfishness about his joy. He did not speak in respect of want, for he knew how to suffer need without complaint. But he looked upon the kindly contribution as a fruit of the grace of God in the Philippians, a generous proof that they were lifted out of heathen selfishness into Christian love. There was little enough of kindness in the old Roman and Greek world into which Paul went preaching the gospel. Those were times of great hardness of heart, even to cruel heartlessness. There was no sort of provision for the poor. If a man was poor, why, that was his own lookout, and he might starve and die. You know how hardened the people had become through the fights in the amphitheatre, so that the sight of blood produced a fierce delight in their brutal bosoms, and human suffering was to them rather a thing to be rejoiced in than to be prevented. There might be here and there a tender hand that gave a pittance to the poor, but for the most part, charity was dead. The voluptuaries of that most degenerate age planned no hospitals and built no orphanages. They were too intent upon their gladiators and their mistresses. Self was Lord Paramount in Caesar's court and all over Roman realms. But here are people at Philippi thinking about one who had preached the gospel to them and who is now suffering. They are moved by a new principle. Love to God in Christ Jesus has created love to the man whose word has changed them. They will not abandon him. They will, out of their own slender means, cheer his sad condition. There were churches that had no such pangs of mercy. Alas, that so early in the gospel day, holy charity should be so rare. There were people whom Paul had blessed greatly, who even quarrelled about him, and denied that he was an apostle of Christ, but not so the beloved church at Philippi. They had again and again ministered to his necessities. And Paul now rejoices in them again because he delights to see another instance of the transforming power of the grace of God upon character so that those who were once selfish now rejoiced unprompted and unasked to send their offering to him. Was Lydia at the bottom of that subscription? I should not wonder. We know that she was open-hearted. Did the jailer add his full share? I feel sure of it, for in the prison he courteously entertained the apostle. These were a generous people, and Paul is happy in thinking of them. I may here dare to say that I also have had the like joy over many of you when I have seen how freely you have given of your substance to the work of the Lord. It would be unfair if I withheld commendation for liberality from many now before me. You have rejoiced my heart by your gifts to the cause of God. You have given 
up to the measure of your means and some of you beyond what we could have asked of you. The gospel has taught you this. To God be glory that it is so. Continue in the same spirit that none may rob me of this joy. The apostle makes to them an assurance in the following verses that they shall be abundantly repaid for all that they have done. He says to them, you have helped me, but my God shall supply you. You have helped me in one of my needs, my need of clothing and of food. I have other needs in which you could not help me, but my God shall supply all your need. You have helped me, some of you, out of your deep poverty, taking from your scanty store. But my God shall supply all your need out of his riches in glory. You have sent Epaphroditus unto me with your offering. Well and good, he is a most worthy brother and a true yoke fellow. But for all that, God shall send a better messenger to you, for he shall supply all your needs by Christ Jesus. He seems to me to make a parallel of his needs with theirs, and of his supplies from them with their supplies from the Lord. He would seem to say, just as God has through you filled me up, so shall he by Christ fill you up. That is a translation of the Greek which most nearly touches the meaning. My God shall fill up all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Will you allow me to make a break here for one instant? I read you just now the story of the prophet's widow whose children were about to be taken for a debt and how the oil was multiplied in the vessels which she borrowed, until there was enough to discharge the debt, and sufficient surplus for herself and children to live upon. Now kindly take that picture and join it onto this, and we have here first the empty vessels. Set them out in a row, all your need. Secondly, who will fill them up? My God shall fill up all your need. Thirdly, after what fashion will he do it? According to his riches in glory. Fourthly, by what means will he do it? By Christ Jesus. Keep the widow and the vessels before you, and let us see the miracle worked over again on a grand scale in our own houses and hearts. May the Holy Spirit make the sight refreshing to our faith. So then, we will begin our discourse this evening by asking you to set out the empty vessels. My God shall supply all your need. Bring forth your vessels, even not a few empty vessels, all your need. I do not suppose that you are under any great obligation to go out tonight and borrow other people's needs, for you have enough of your own at home, needs many and needs varied. Very well, set them out. Hide none of them away, but put them down one after another in a long row, all of them. There are needs for your body, needs for your soul, 
needs for yourselves, needs for your families, needs for the present, needs for the future, needs for time, needs for eternity, needs for earth, needs for heaven. Your needs are as many as your moments, as many as the hairs of your head. I suppose it would be useless for me to attempt a catalogue of them. However carefully we made the list, we should have to add a host of sundries altogether unmentionable until circumstances suggested them. I could hardly tell you all my own needs, but I know that they are enormous and increasing with my years. I have needs as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a citizen, as a Christian, as a pastor, as an author. In fact, every position I take up adds to my needs. If I went through my own personal bill of requests, I should fill a document like the role mentioned in the Old Testament, written within and without. And hardly then could I enumerate all my own demands upon the bank of heaven. But if I then attempted to take all the thousands that are gathered beneath this roof and to let each one state their particular wants, where would the computation end? The sands upon the seashore are not more innumerable. We should want a library larger than the Bodleian to hold all the books which could be written of all the needs of the needy congregation now before me. While I'm not sorry for it, for here is so much the more room for the Lord to work his miracles of bountiful grace. Sometimes when I have been in need for the work of the orphanage and the college and such like things, and these times have occurred, I do solemnly assure you that I have felt a wonderful joy in my spirit. I have watched the ebb of the funds till nearly everything has been gone. And then I have joyfully said to myself, Now for it, the vessels are empty. Now I shall see the miracle of filling them. What wonders the Lord has wrought for me. I cannot now tell you in detail, but many of you who have been my faithful helpers know how hundreds and even thousands of pounds have poured in from our great Lord in the moment of necessity. It will always be the same. For the Lord God is the same. Until the funds run low, we cannot expect to see them replenished. But when they get low, then will God come and deal graciously with us. Money is, however, our smallest want. We need grace, wisdom, light and comfort. And these we shall have. All our needs are occasions for blessing. The more needs you have, the more blessing you will get. God has promised to fill up all your needs. That is, all your empty vessels will be filled. And therefore, the more the merrier. What? The more in need, the better? Yes, I would have your faith believe that strange statement. Your poverty shall thus be your riches, your weakness, your strength, your abasement, your exaltation. 
your extremity shall be an opportunity that God will use to show the riches of his grace. To your utter exhaustion, he will draw near with all the fullness of his inexhaustible grace. And he will replenish you till your cup runs over. He will fill up all your empty vessels. Be not slow to fetch them out from the holes and corners and place them before the Lord, however many they may be. Weep not over the empty jars, but place them out in rows in full expectation of their being filled to the brim. Thank you for listening, friends. This podcast was brought to you by Premier in association with Spurgeon's College. For more Christian podcasts, sermons, and music, head back to the website premier.plus and sign in for free.